Watch your water. He's lucky I'm going to drink it. You know, there's something special about a countdown, isn't there? Maybe you recall what happened on a launch pad in Cape Canaveral, Florida, 1962. I wasn't thought of yet in 1962. But astronaut John Glenn was strapped in a tiny mercury capsule on top of a huge rocket. He was positioned to become the first American to orbit the earth. The NASA engineer said, we are T-minus 10 seconds and counting. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Ignition liftoff. Then as the rocket began to climb, a normally reserved Walter Cronkite said, Go, baby! Anybody remember that? Oh, good. You remember that. My mother-in-law remembers it. Nobody else does. Oh, I saw a hand. Two people. Maybe it's easier to remember January 28th, 1986. I was born then. This was the date I would guess that most people across the United States would have been glued to their TV sets again. I knew we were at the school that I was attending, and we were there doing that countdown. Ten, nine, eight, and all the way to zero, and ignition, liftoff. But on this date, 73 seconds would change the lives of many people forever. For this was the date that Sally Ride and six other crew members were going up in space in the Challenger, but it broke apart 73 seconds into its way into space, killing all seven on board. President Reagan said that day as he spoke to the people of the United States, he said the crew of the space shuttle Challenger honored us by the manner in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning as they prepared for the journey and waved goodbye. They slipped the surely bonds of earth to touch the face of God. Over the past few weeks, we've been studying the most important countdown of history, the final 94 hours that led to the empty tomb. These are 94 hours that changed our world forever. We have followed Jesus through the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then we examine his trial and the torture. How he hung on the cross those six hours and then he died. His body was lovingly removed from the cross and placed in a tomb. All through Jesus' time on earth, he claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And in Matthew chapter 12, it says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered this, 
A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This rebellious prophet, Jonah, was practically dead in the belly of that huge fish. But while he was in the belly of that huge fish, God had him right where he wanted him. And Jonah finally got right with God in the belly of that fish. And as soon as Jonah gets right with God, God directs that huge fish to spit Jonah out onto the shore. I can imagine this time Jonah didn't go the other way. Jonah hit the ground running all the way to Nineveh. And we see in Jonah chapter 3, if we would go there, that God blessed the Ninevites because they turned from their evil ways. Jesus had said more than once to his disciples that after his death, he would spend the same amount of time in the grave. But then God would raise him from the dead and he would be alive forevermore. He would be more alive than Jonah. Because Jonah eventually died. But Jesus came forth and lives, as we sang earlier, forevermore. All four of the gospel writers describe the resurrection and each one provides different details. This morning, instead of being in the book of Mark like we've been in this series, we're going to look at John's book. So if you have your Bibles, your iPad, your phone, or you want to look on the screen, we're going to go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And we're going to start in verse 1. John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in in the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still don't understand the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? 
Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said and the things to her. I want to name off four characters from a television show that I'm sure most, if not all of us, have watched at one time or another. Ready? Slimy. Telly. Barkley. The Honkers. Anybody get it yet? I know if I say one more name, you're going to get it. It's not on cable. Let me say one, and I know you'll get it. Cookie Monster. Sesame Street, right. These were some of the Muppets, but one of the earliest human characters on the show was was a man named Mr. Harold Hooper. Do anybody remember Mr. Hooper? He owned Mr. Hooper's store. His name was actually Will Lee. And he was on Sesame Street for 13 years before he died of a heart attack in 1982. The producers of Sesame Street were faced with a dilemma that day. How were they going to explain death to 10 million plus children who watched the show on a regular basis? They could have just made up a story about Mr. Hooper retiring and moving to Florida, but instead they decided to tell the children that he had died. But because this was public television, they weren't allowed to mention anything religious or spiritual. Let's take a look. I hope it's working.
The gospel of Sesame Street isn't the good news at all. What a sad message to have to teach to children. When people die, they don't come back. But that is not the message of Easter today, is it? For the good news of Easter is that because Jesus came back from the dead, that we too will live forever as well if we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior and if we're living daily in his will and his ways. In John chapter 20 that we read a few moments ago, Mary Magdalene was one of the eyewitnesses to the resurrection. She was the last one to the cross. But she was the first one to the tomb that day. And she had to answer three Easter questions that day. And these are the same three questions each of us must answer on this resurrection morning. First question that she has to answer and we need to answer today is, why are you crying? Why are you crying? After Simon and Peter and John returned home. Mary looked inside the tomb and she saw a couple of angels. And the angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? We can tell that these angels never took a course in any type of counseling. Because what I was taught in college is that you're never supposed to just ask why someone is crying. The question why is too threatening and not supportive enough. It's like when... We as husbands ask our wives, honey, why are you crying? And then when we husbands don't understand why, the question makes our wives cry even more. But to her credit, Mary didn't respond to the angels by saying, how dare you ask me that question? Can't you see what I'm going through? Instead, she simply responds this way. They've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. Then Mary turned around and saw a man that she thought was the gardener. Mary thinking that she sees the gardener makes perfect sense because the Bible says that the tomb was carved out of stone inside of a garden. We also know this tomb belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who was a secret follower of Jesus. It was a new tomb in which no corpse had ever been placed. This stranger asked the same question that the angels had asked. Woman, why are you crying? The angels asked the question out of curiosity. They probably thought this earth creature should know that Jesus is alive. So why is she crying? But Jesus asked the question out of compassion. He loved Mary and his heart was moved by your tears. Why are you crying? He knew the answer, but he wanted her to say it. And she answered honestly, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. She didn't say what we usually say when someone asks us, why are we crying? Oh, nothing, nothing, I'm fine. This is the same question Jesus is asking us this morning. Why are you crying? And we need to be honest with him this morning. We can't just sniff and say, nothing, Jesus. I'm just fine. I'm just fine. For Jesus already knows why we cry out to him. He just wants us to admit the reason of the pain that we're facing today, that we have faced this past week, this past year, every day of our lives that we face. 
pain. There could be as many different answers to the question, why are we crying that Jesus is asking us today? For those of us who know Jesus in a personal relationship, tears are a part of our existence as a believer in Jesus. As H.G. Spafford penned after his family was lost at sea, there are times when sorrows like sea billows roll. So what are you going through this morning, right now, that is causing you some pain, some sorrow? For Mary isn't the only one who has stood in a cemetery while shedding tears. Maybe you're still, have that sting of death of a loved one. Maybe you're hurting because of a recent diagnosis you've had or someone you've loved has received. Maybe your eyes are filled with tears because of a problem you have with your children or your grandchildren. Maybe the list is endless of why we may be crying inside today. But let me assure you all, all of us this morning, Jesus sees our pain and he cares about our pain. Hebrews chapter 4 says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same temptations we do. So no matter the pain that you're feeling this morning, shedding tears because of that pain, it's okay to shed those tears. None of us are immune from tears. And the point I'm trying to make is that tears come to all of us. And so when Jesus asks you, why are you crying today? It's time for us to take off the masks that we wear and honestly admit our areas of pain to him. And for then and only then can we move on to accept the healing that Jesus wants to give to us. When we do, then we're ready to experience God's promise that's found over in Psalms chapter 30 when it says, Weeping may go on all night, but joy comes in the morning. It's been said that we've learned our greatest lessons during times of sorrow. Robert Browning Hamilton once wrote, I walked a mile with laughter. She chatted all the way. But I was none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. And not a word, said she. But oh, the things I learned. When sorrow walked with me. The next question Jesus asked is, who or what are you looking for? When Jesus asked Mary, her answer showed up in the deep love that she has for Jesus. She still didn't recognize it was Jesus. She thought it was the gardener. So she said, sir, if you've carried him away, please show me where you've put him and I'll go get him. That's true love. Scholars tell us that Mary probably weighed about 110 pounds, give or take. And let's just guess this morning that Jesus weighed 165. We don't know. Nobody knows. But let's just put that out there. And John tells us that Nicodemus and Joseph had wrapped his body with 75 additional pounds of aloe and spices. So Mary was going to pick up a 250 pound corpse of a man over her shoulder and carry it back inside the tomb. That's love. That's love, church. 
Her hope was shattered. Her faith was absent, but her love was still there that morning. And remember what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, among faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. At this point, Jesus couldn't hide who he was any longer. And he simply spoke her name in Aramaic. And he said, Miriam. And she fell at his feet and answered his second question. Who are you looking for? She was looking for Jesus and she had found him. I want us to know this morning. Jesus knows your name and your name and your name and your name. And my name. He knows everything about us. In Psalms 139, it reminds us that he knows everything about us. Can you imagine him calling you by name right now? By name. Martin Gonzalez. Sam Martinez. Lucy Munoz. Bernice. Sampley. Who or what are you looking for? What is your goal in life? Because everybody is looking for something or someone. They're searching for truth or purpose. That one little secret that's going to make the life better. In 1991, the movie City Slickers made its debut. Maybe you've seen it. One of the greatest lines from the movie is when Curly says to Billy Crystal, do you know what the secret of life is? And he holds up one finger. This. Billy says, your finger? Curly says, one thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and the rest doesn't mean anything. Curly rides off and Billy shouts, but what is that one thing? And Curly says, that's what you have to find out. Today, it seems that a lot of people are looking for the newest, the biggest, the greatest, the next big thing that's on the market. They think that life is about accumulating more and more stuff. Or they think life is all about experiencing those greatest thrills that are there. Many people spend their entire lives climbing up the ladder to success only to get to the top and realize it's leaning against the wrong wall. We know that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived beside Jesus. And Solomon once wrote, there is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. Mary knew what the one thing was. It was Jesus. And in Luke 10, we see Jesus at the home of another Mary and Martha. He says to Martha, you are worried and anxious about many things. But Mary has found the one thing that won't be taken from her. Mary had been seated at the feet of Jesus, listening to everything that was being said by Jesus. A personal day by day relationship with Jesus is the one thing, the one thing that will give our lives meaning, not just today, but every day after today. I recently heard that read the testimony of Anne Lamott. Anne was bullied and grew up insecure. And the way she found a way out was through drugs and alcohol. She says that she didn't come to Jesus by a leap of faith. Instead, 
It involved several misguided staggers to God. And said it wasn't until his love came to me in a very specifically in the person of Jesus. Giving me the strength to seek help for my addictions through the support group. And knows now that if she hadn't embraced something bigger than herself. She would be dead. Here's part of her testimony. On the seventh night after my abortion. I discovered that I was bleeding heavily. I thought I should call a doctor, but I was so disgusted that I had gotten so drunk one week after my abortion that I couldn't wake someone up and ask for help. I got in bed shaking and sad and too wild to have another drink or take a sleeping pill. After a while, as I lay there, I became aware that someone was with me hunkered down in the corner. That feeling was so strong that I actually staggered to turn on the light for a moment to make sure that no one was there. Of course, there wasn't. But after a while in the dark again, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was Jesus. I felt him as I surely as I feel my dog lying as I write this. I was appalled. I I thought about life and my family and my friends. I thought about what if. What if everyone would think of me if I became a Christian? And it seemed utterly impossible thing that simply could not be allowed to happen. She said, I turned to the wall and I said out loud, I would rather die than to become a Christian. And yet I still felt Jesus just sitting there watching me with love. I squeezed my eyes tight. But it didn't help because I wasn't seeing Jesus with my eyes because I and I finally fell asleep and in the morning he was gone. This experience spooked me badly and everywhere I went, I felt as there was a little cat following me, wanting me to reach down and pick it up. Wanting me to open the door and let him in. And we know that when you let a cat in and feed it milk, it's going to stay forever. One week later, she says, I went to church with a friend. I was sung, I was so hung over, I couldn't stand for the songs. And at this time, I actually stayed for the sermon. I thought it was ridiculous. Like someone trying to convince me of the existence of extraterrestrials. But the last song was so deep and raw and pure that I couldn't escape it. I felt as though the presence of God was washing over me. I began to cry and I raced home and I felt that that little cat was running along at my heels. I opened the door of my house and I stood there for a long minute. And then I hung my head and said, I quit. I took a deep, long breath and said out loud, all right, all right, you can come in. And Anne Lamott found out that what she was looking for. And today, Anne is one of the most sought-out writers at conferences around the world today. And she and she shares her testimony everywhere she goes. Have you found what you have been looking for? I'm telling you today, you can stop looking for it. Because he is here this morning, and he is waiting for you. First question was, why are you crying? Second question is, who are you looking for? Third question is, will you fall before Jesus is your living Lord? 
Jesus couldn't hide his identity any longer. When we see, when he saw the love that Mary had, he simply spoke her name, Mary in Aramaic. It would have been Miriam. When she heard her name spoken by Jesus, Mary realized it was the Lord. And that that moment, her pain was turned to joy and she could only utter one word. Rabboni. And if you would search out that word, the word literally means master. She was declaring that Jesus was her master. And then she fell at his feet and began to worship him. Then Jesus said, don't hold on to me because he had something for her to do. He said, go instead, go to my disciples and tell them I'm alive. In Matthew 28, it also says, so the women hurried away from the tomb afraid and yet filled with joy and ran to the disciples. And suddenly Jesus meets them and greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. When was the last time? That you have fallen on your knees and declare that Jesus is the Lord of your life. On that first Easter evening when Jesus showed up among those disciples. All ten of them were there. But Thomas was not. Thomas was missing. And when Thomas returned they told him the good news that Jesus was alive. But Thomas was the skeptic in the group. He said, I won't believe that story until I can place my fingers in the nail prints in his hands. Thomas, be careful what you ask for. Because one week later, Jesus shows up again. In 1602, one of the most famous painters in Rome, Carvaggio, painted a wonderful picture. And it's right here. You probably have seen it um, more times um, than just right now. It's as if Jesus is guiding Thomas's arm toward the gaping wound in his side there. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them then. And through the door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. And believe. Stop doubting. And believe. Thomas said to her. Thomas said to him. My Lord. And my God. Have we made the same confession. That Thomas has made. My Lord. And my God. Will we fall before the Lord. And confess him today. As our living Lord. Today. Here's the fourth question for us to answer on this Resurrection Sunday. Do we know for certain that we're going to go to heaven when we die? Most people today, if you ask them, they believe that if they're a good enough person, that they're going to earn their way to heaven. Recently, the former mayor of New York City, Michael Bloomberg, was interviewed by the New York Times He was talking about all the work that he had done for gun control. And then he makes this statement. He says, I am telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to stop to be interviewed by him. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. And it's not even close. When I read that this past week, 
I cringed. Because one of Satan's most popular lies is that we all, all we have to do is be good enough to earn our way into heaven. There is only one way to heaven. And that's when we fall before Jesus and confess him as our living Lord. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why doesn't the Bible say confess that Jesus is Lord and believe he he fed the 5,000? Or confess Jesus is Lord and believe that he walked on water? It's because the resurrection isn't just a miracle. It's the sign that verifies that Jesus is who he has claimed to be. I recently heard as I took a class at Fresno Pacific University recently from a Muslim who had become a Christian, and he shared his testimony one night. He said, I was looking at the lives of Muhammad and Jesus. He said, then I came to a fork in the road, and one led to death and a tomb in Medina. The other led to an empty tomb and the resurrection. He said, I decided then and there to follow the living way. He said, before The end of the life of Muhammad. Muhammad had written, I do not know where I'm going. He said in Surah 46, 9 in the Quran, Muhammad once wrote, I am not something original among the messengers, nor do I know what will be done with me or with you. But Jesus says, Jesus says in John chapter 14, I go. To prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am there you may be also. Today the choice is simple. We must choose the living way. A few years ago some missionaries in Bangladesh were showing the Jesus film. To several hundred villagers. And none of them had ever heard the story or anything about Jesus. They sat there fascinated with this movie of the life of Jesus. But as the movie came to the torture and the crucifixion of Jesus was shown. There became tears and gasp. And the people were yelling in response to this treatment that Jesus was suffering. There was chaos among the crowd as Jesus was being tortured. And there was a little boy sitting in the front row. And he jumped up and he said, don't be afraid. He gets up again. Church, that's the resurrection message. I've seen the Lord. He gets up again. Don't be afraid. Mohammed was wrong. Sesame Street was wrong. But the Bible is right and true today. That's why we can sing. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all my fear is gone. Because I know he holds my future. And life is worth the living. Because he lives. Because he lives. So where are you today? Maybe this morning you're full of sorrow, full of pain that you're dealing with. Why not allow Jesus to take it away today? Maybe this morning you're seeking for someone to fill a void in your life. Jesus is the only one that can fill the void. We've all tried other things. 
But Jesus is the only one that can fill the void in our lives. Or maybe this morning there's something in your life that God's been dealing with you about. And today is the day to surrender it to him. Or maybe you've never made the commitment to ask Jesus into your heart and into your life. What a great day for new life to begin on this Resurrection Sunday. 